so excited to dive into this new series with you. Before I do, go ahead and turn to the person next to you. We didn't get to say hi to anyone this morning. Just turn and say hello to them. Go ahead and give your name if you haven't given a name yet. So uh, that was my wife, Jenna, who was just up here. Uh, every, if you know me, my name is John Prine. I am one of the pastors here at Community Lincoln Park. If you know me, you know this has been a big weekend for me uh, because Barbie and Oppenheimer released at the same time on Friday. Uh, if you know me, you're nervous. I'm going to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer today. And I promise this is actually the only time I'm going to mention Barbie and Oppenheimer. What I do want to talk to you about, though, is a different pop culture phenomenon that has been happening this summer that has everything to do with Chicago. I'm guessing most of you have at least heard of or perhaps seen it, and what I am talking about is The Bear. The Bear. Anyone here had a chance to see The Bear, the TV show on Hulu, FX, a couple of you? Okay, good. So for those of you who don't, I'm going to get to talk about it. This is so fun. Uh, let me give you some hype for why you should see The Bear. Uh, the Bear is a TV show about a man named Carmi Berizado. Isn't that clever? Did you catch it? Carmi Berzato, the bear. You see what they're doing? Uh, the pitches in Hollywood are sophisticated. You gotta, you gotta stick with them. Um, but Carmi comes back to Chicago after spending years in the fine dining scene, becoming trained as one of the top chefs, sous chefs in the world. So he's fine dining, he's sophisticated, and yet the show is about how Carmi comes back to Chicago because his brother has committed suicide and has left him an Italian sub shop uh, sitting there in River North, which you can actually drive past later today if you would like to. Uh, so it's really fun. It's all about Chicago. It's all about food. But here's what's so interesting about The Bear. Uh, the Bear would, seems like a simple show, right? Like, why does anybody care or talking about The Bear? And yet, uh, in The Bear, you have... Carmi come back, bring all this sophistication, passion, and energy of his craft to something very small, claustrophobic, contained, right? It's a messy, grimy, blue-collar, Chicago, very Chicago, Italian sub shop. And in this sort of clash of everything hitting right here in the shop, what we have discovered is this phenomenal piece of exploration about where we go to get fed for the hungers of our soul. So these are just a couple uh, headlines from the New York Times. If we jump ahead here, uh, New York Times has been raving about the bear. And like, if you're not interested yet, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, how do these headlines come together? Uh, one article in the New York Times says, how the bear captures the panic of modern work, talking about how people are longing to be in something like a kitchen again. They long to work with their hands. We're all remote. We're all isolated. Uh, the bear is showing us what it could be if we return to this idea of collaboration and teamwork together. Another article, I thought no one felt grief like mine. Then I saw the bear. I mean, a TV show that at an Italian sub shop is also exploring the depths of grief, this brother who's gone, the grief that opens up everyone else's grief as well. Finally, another article from the New York Times that's entitled, The Bear and the Need to Belong. Again, uh, I'm not here to hype Barbie, I'm not here to hype Oppenheimer, but maybe you might want to consider watching The Bear if you haven't seen it yet. Why The Bear Matters is that it's a show about misfits, but it's also a show about redemption. It's a show about grief, and yet it's also a show about belonging. And I think, uh, having watched 
most of the bear so far, if you get a chance to see it, the reason it's connecting so much with our culture right now is that we all have this sort of hunger inside us and we can't quite figure out where to go to get fed. And so the bear is stirring. It's stirring all of these longings in us. Like, where do we find satisfaction for this desire to work? Where do we find community, a place to belong? Where can any of us take our grief? Who can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul? So this morning, I want to take you to the Gospel of John to kick off the series on I Am. Jenna did such a wonderful introduction to give you a little bit of background. And this morning, if you have a phone with a Bible, I think this will be a great morning to pull it out. We're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 6. So if you have a phone, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen. But just for context, you may want to open it up. I'll give you a warning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 6. And this chapter is notoriously difficult to preach because there's a lot going on, okay? So there's going to be a lot going on. I think you'll be able to keep up. But if you pull up the passage in your screen, you can mull over it as I'm talking you through it. And to begin, I'm going to move a little quickly through a scene that you've maybe recognized before. It appears in all four Gospels. The scene is essentially this. Jesus is going to teach. He's gathered there on a mountain so that he can speak out to the crowd. There's a lot of people there. And as Jesus is teaching, we're told that Jesus notices that the crowd is getting hungry. And so Jesus looks to his disciples and says, hey, Philip, where are we going to get these people bread? And we're told in John that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So this is a little bit tricky of Jesus, a little bit uh, cunning. Uh, but he's testing his disciples to see how they respond to this need that's being presented to them, a crowd that has been listening to him teach all day that's growing hungry. I love here, I relate intimately with Philip. Philip immediately gets overwhelmed. He goes, Jesus, we can't do that. Like, even if we were to buy bread, Jesus, do you know how much it would cost? Six months' wages, Jesus. It would take six months' wages to even feed this crowd. So Jesus says, why don't you go and see what we have? And Andrew appears with this young boy, probably no more than 10, 11, 12, who happened to bring lunch with him that day, five loaves and two fish. And clearly, the disciples look at this small offering and go, well, we're toast, right? There, there's, no way, there's no way that this is going to work. Jesus takes this small offering from a young boy, he prays over it, and he gives it to his disciples and says, start giving this out to the crowd. As the disciples go out, uh, we're told that everyone begins eating. In fact, John tells us everyone began eating until they were full. And as the people grew full, uh, the disciples then realized there was still more bread to be collected. And so the disciples go out and now they're collecting up extra bread and they find that there are 12 whole baskets full of bread left over from this meal, which if you are an astute reader of the Old Testament, you would immediately realize stands for the 12 tribes of Israel, 12. Here it is, this abundance waiting for the people having been fed by Jesus. Now, this isn't the center of our I am this morning, okay? So we just flew past that. I realize we're moving quick. Uh, but this sets up the need that is presented and the challenge that Jesus is going to interact with. Because the need is a crowd is physically hungry, and with their physical hunger, Jesus is essentially asking, how are we going to feed this deep, ravenous hunger that this crowd is presenting? Like, where are they going to get fed? 
The disciples are overwhelmed, but Jesus chooses to use the smallest offering. Notice that Jesus does not miraculously summon bread out of thin air. Jesus does not step in and say, you have failed. Allow me now to provide everything for you. No, no, Jesus takes the small sacrificial offering of a young boy, and through it, Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves until everyone is satisfied. Now, as we're sitting with this story, it should cause us to look around and say, what kind of way or nourishment or feeding is Jesus wanting to offer to us? Like, if that's what Jesus did with that crowd, what kind of food is Jesus going to provide to our needs, to our hunger, to all of those bare longings that are being churned around, around community and grief and work? And I think if we're being honest, if we're here today, uh, most of us, even if you've been a Christian, if you've been around the church, most of us would say there's still some pretty deep hungers inside, aren't there? Like, that crowd got hungry because we get hungry. In fact, even if you're listening to Jesus, even if you're showing up to church, you find you're moving through your life and maybe something goes wrong, something happens. I even find in a seven-day week, like, my mountaintops and valleys crash quite quickly into each other, right? Like, Monday I'm doing great, then Tuesday I'm, like, low and I'm struggling and this is pretty hard. And then Wednesday's better, and then Thursday's kind of hard again. But then Friday's really fun. And then Saturday, it's kind of another hard day. And as these ebbs and flows are kind of swirling through our lives, the question is, where will we get fed? Now, this leads to a very interesting conversation that Jesus is going to have with the crowds. This is now down in verse 26. So as this story moves along, tons of things are happening. Again, I'm not going to cover the whole chapter because Jesus walks on water at one point. It's crazy. Go read chapter 6. Like, so much is happening. Uh, the people are getting fed. But now at verse 26, Jesus has gone with the disciples to the other side of the lake, and the crowds have heard and have chased after him because what happened was they got fed, right? Imagine showing up to listen to a popular speaker, and you're maybe a farmer. It's not like you have tons of resources. You had no idea where you were going to eat for the day. And then all of a sudden, this person just lays a banquet, an abundance of bread out before you. If that happened, you'd go, I think I might want to follow that person around a little bit, right? Like, if they gave me yesterday's meal, maybe they're going to give me tomorrow's meal as well. So the crowd comes up to Jesus, and then this is what Jesus says, verse 26. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, this is kind of a mysterious, slightly lofty, and sort of spiritual statement from Jesus. In fact, if you're feeling just a little bit confused, that's probably okay, because Jesus has a huge reveal coming. He's wanting to sort of draw you in, invite your curiosity. What is it that Jesus is saying? What is clear, though, from this statement is that it's possible for many of us that as we're experiencing hunger, as we're experiencing these longings in our lives, we go to Jesus and we find bread, right? We find food of some kind. We come to the church. We, we find ourselves here, and we feel, oh, this actually kind of helped. I think that made me feel a little bit better. Like, I like when I sing songs. I like when the teaching's interesting. I, I like having a small group in the city. This is really nice. And as we're eating the food, Jesus says we can get kind of fixated on the bread, right? The bread, that thing that made our stomachs feel temporarily full. Uh, the crowd 
was so excited by the fact that they got fed that Jesus is suggesting it's possible they missed the sign where the bread was trying to point them to. Now track with what the disciples say, in, or sorry, the crowd says in verse 28. Revealing their confusion, they respond to this statement by Jesus. Hey, you were focused on the bread, you missed the sign. I just love the crowd, I totally get it. This is what I would say too. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires, right? They're standing in front of Jesus, they're like, hey, so we showed up, you gave us bread, that was nice, uh, we liked the bread, what works do we need to do to keep this nice little exchange going, right? If you got fed, you're like, hey, that was really fun. Like, what do I need to, what do I need to do, God, to like keep getting that bread? Jesus isn't going to answer in the most frustrating but typical Jesus way. This is verse 29. <laughs> so Jesus is like, he's, he's playing dirty here. And I love it. He says to them, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. You could almost, if you were in the crowd, if I was in the crowd, I'd be like, no, oh, believe, that's so boring. I want to do something, right? Jesus, give me something to do. You fed me with bread. What do I need to do to get that bread again? And Jesus is like, believe. Now, the crowd uh, are going to get a little feisty with Jesus at this point. They can tell Jesus is giving them answers they did not want to hear. This is now verse 30. They asked him, what sign will you then give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, track, this is whoever this spokesperson was. Uh, it was a sophisticated spokesperson who the crowd sort of pushes forward. They're like, no, no, that wasn't satisfying. Like, go at it again with Jesus. Like, try to get a little bit more out of him. And notice if you break down, uh, they first are testing Jesus, right? What sign will you give to us so that we may believe you? And this is, of course, ironic, having the day before just seen Jesus take five small loaves and two fish and feed an entire crowd, right? So now they want to see another sign. Uh, they ask Jesus, ironically, what will you, Jesus, do, right? Like, they're really focused on the doing thing. Like, this is about doing. And then, as if Jesus doesn't know the scriptures, right? They decide to give Jesus just a little lesson in their history. They're like, Jesus, you may not know this, but um, our ancestors, they were in the wilderness, and they got bread every day. So, Jesus, like, what, what are you going to do? Uh, at this point, if you want to see Jesus yet again, just continue to flip statement after statement. Look with me now at verse 32. You got to love this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Did you catch Jesus' reversal on them? He's like, hey, by the way, Moses wasn't the one who was giving you the bread. It was God right? God was the one. It wasn't a person. It wasn't a miracle worker. It wasn't a sign. It wasn't a, a work. God was giving you bread. And actually, what I want you to see is there is a true bread that even now you might be missing. At this point, verse 34, I know we're in the back and forth. We're almost going to step back and ask what all of this is about. The crowd gives a 
I don't know, you can help me figure out how to interpret the crowd's energy here at this moment. Either they're very excited and they're tracking with Jesus, and, but they still don't get it. They say, sir, always give us this bread. Like, will you give us this bread always? Or at this point, we're at such a, a gridlock of cynicism that the crowd is like, oh yeah, you've got the true bread? Okay, well then give it to us. You know, like, where's, where's the true bread? Where is the bread? Jesus, if I could just pause here for a second, I think the challenge for many of us, challenge for many of us, if we could really get honest, is that I, I, have, I have been in the church for a long time. Maybe, maybe you're just coming back to the church. Maybe uh, Jesus is kind of new and exciting to you again. Or maybe, like me, you've been walking this path for a while. I, I'm amazed at how quickly, when I'm following Jesus, I hit this moment where I essentially say, where's the bread, <laughs> right? Like, where's the bread, Jesus? Like, Jesus, could you, could you give me some bread? Jesus, I'm, I'm like hungry right now. Give me some bread. Jesus, I don't feel happy. Give me some bread. Uh, give me the bread, Jesus. And at this point, to this crowd, who I think are asking an honest question, even if it's quite a doubting question, a desperate question even, this is how Jesus is going to respond. This is verse 35. This is the moment this whole back and forth has been building towards. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, so to just sit with this with you, there, there's so much going on in this one statement. Um, first, Jesus says what our series has been emphasizing. Jesus says, I am, right? I am. I am is the very name of God, as Jenna pointed out, found in the book of Exodus. I am is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. Jesus is saying, I am that God. I am God. I am the very God that provided Israel bread in the wilderness. I am God. Standing here in front of you, only God could take five loaves and two fish and multiply them to a crowd. Only God could walk across the waters of the lake and now stand before you as you argue with him and demand bread. Only God could claim to be I am in their midst. Yet here in this image, Jesus is going to specify, I am the bread. I am the bread. Now, I feel like Bread can sometimes be so caught up in our sort of familiarity with Christianity that we can miss why bread mattered. Like, have you ever asked yourself, why, why bread, though? <laughs> you know, like, it's a little weird, bread. Uh, what does it matter that Jesus says, he is the bread, I am the bread? Well, if you walk back through Israel's story and you even look ahead to where Jesus' life is going, there's a number of dynamics going on in this picture that make it so uh, sort of thick and beautiful and like a tapestry of the whole Bible caught up in just one image. First off, Jesus in claiming to be the bread is daily. This is part of Israel's story that was clearly on everyone's mind. If you go back to Israel wandering in the wilderness, God provides them bread every single day. This was the whole setup of the wilderness. Israel is told when you go to sleep, you're going to leave all the bread out. You're not going to store it up. You're not going to prepare for tomorrow. Instead, you're going to wake up, and in the next day, 
God will have provided your day's worth of bread. I think that similarly is the idea of sustaining, right? The crowd is hungry. The people in Israel were, they were wandering in the wilderness. They were hungry, and God provides bread every day because every day he's going to sustain you. As you eat this bread, you're going to remember, this is actually God's sustaining. This is God's provision. I, I wouldn't be able to eat this bread if God hadn't given it to me. Yet, uh, if the bread is sustaining, if you know that you're going to be fed with the bread, Jesus also has just shown this is an abundance of bread. This is a multiplying of bread. There's not any moment where the bread is going to run out. There's not a moment where you're going to wake up the next day and the bread is not going to be waiting for you. Jesus is saying, I am daily, I am sustaining, I am even multiplying. You can offer this bread to others and they're going to be able to eat it too. But then, crucially, the bread is also broken. This is going to take a little bit more in Jesus' story to get to the night, it's actually the night of Passover, as Jesus is gathered with friends around a table, and he's going to lift up a loaf of bread, and then he's going to break it in two. He's going to say to, the, to his friends, this is my body, I am the bread, broken for you. I think this aspect of the bread is important to hold as we contemplate what it's going to take to have this hunger of ours satisfied. If Jesus is daily, if he's sustaining, if he's multiplying, he, he doesn't want us to forget, as the bread, he is also broken. He is broken bread for us. Yet here's the last one, and, and this is maybe the weirdest part. In fact, I'd be willing to say this is maybe the weirdest part of Christianity, okay? So you can like just join me for a moment in the weirdness, and hopefully we'll get out of it, and you guys won't leave. Uh, but the weirdness of Christianity is that as the bread, Jesus tells us he wants us to eat the bread. <laughs> now, uh, in the early church, there actually is kind of this fun uh, archaeological piece you can find in a catacomb uh, where there were claims there were claims that the earliest Christians, which were not really understood in the Roman culture, like Rome is sort of doing its thing, they're worshiping a bunch of different gods. They're like, oh, who do you worship? People are like, Jesus. They're like, what do you do? They're like, we eat his body and drink his blood. And the Romans are like, okay, cool. Like, and literally, there are claims of Christians being cannibals in the earliest uh, eras of Roman culture because it's just weird. They didn't really get like what is going on in Christianity that they're saying they're eating this body and drinking this blood. But if you sit with the image for just a moment, sit with bread even, uh, though this is strange, uh, bread is ingested by you, right? You take bread and it's outside of you and then you put it in your mouth and you begin to digest it. And the sustenance, the nutrients of bread actually gets absorbed into your very body so that the energy you have to do anything in a day is dependent upon the calories that are coming from the bread you have just absorbed. Now, here's, here's the image Jesus wants us to track with, and he is actually saying this, as we're gonna see in just a second. Jesus is saying, I, if you want to truly be fed, I need to enter into you. You need to take me into you in such a way that who I am becomes a part of you to such an extent that you actually are changed because you have you have taken me into you. you. I am now with you, and you are now with me. And in fact, 
this bread that Jesus is is going to be so powerful and so transformative that your entire life is going to begin to mirror who Jesus was. Like daily you're going to be getting this bread, sustainingly you're going to be getting this bread, multiplyingly this bread is going to now be like flowing out of you. I know it's a weird image, but then uh, brokenly you're going to follow Jesus into his very brokenness. And as you do, you are going to be transformed into this power this new life, this resurrection even that Jesus is going to point us to. Uh, I realize in saying all this, I wanted to say that first so you can kind of hear the strangeness of it. It's a little strange. Uh, to which your natural question should be, Jesus didn't really say that, did he? Like, that's surely not what Jesus meant. Let me take you to verse 47. This is what Jesus says in chapter six as he's going back and forth with his crowd. He wants them to get this. And so he explains it this way. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, at this point, the crowd are like, what did he just say? In fact, verse 52, they says the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Fair question. That is a weird thing to say. And this is how Jesus responds, verse 43. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, and then he hits the point one more time. Your ancestors ate manna and died but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now the disciples, even his disciples, upon hearing this say in verse 60, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it, right? This is Christianity at its weirdest. And yet, I want to just suggest to you this morning that this is also Christianity at its most profound and why we must slow down, why Jesus clearly wanted us to slow down with this moment, is that we have to get what's happening here, which you may have noticed has been set up this whole time. What happens here at this table is Jesus offering us himself and us having to actually follow Jesus's invitation to eat the bread and drink the juice so that we can effectively, symbolically, spiritually feed on Jesus, reminding us that unless he comes in us, we cannot have the life. We cannot be transformed. We cannot walk into that which he is offering to us. Um, one of the great theologians in the church, Martin Luther, who started the whole Reformation, called this the wonderful exchange. He says, here at this table, you come and bring your life and you give it to Jesus. And then here at this table, you take the bread and the wine, and as you drink it, you become Jesus. Now, if you want to hear my opinion, if you're curious to ask at this point, kind of elephant in the room, 
what is happening here at this communion table? Like, what does this mean? How does this all work? I'm here to tell you today, I don't have the answers. <laughs> I don't fully know. In fact, I think the best advice or wisdom I've heard is to see this table as a profound spiritual mystery. But I can tell you, and, and I would even encourage you to see that at this table, in this act of eating the bread and drinking the juice, you are performing something that Jesus said was so necessary that unless you do this in some way, unless you spiritually commune with Jesus, take Jesus into you, allow Jesus to transform you, eat the bread, drink the juice, unless you do it, then you can't actually be with Jesus in the life that he wants for you. It's that serious. It's that holy. It's that profound. Now, to just give a practical encouragement in this regard. Uh, what I do love about how weighty this table is in this chapter of John is that for as maybe heavy or dense or like, whoa, that's a lot. This is a hard teaching as this is. Um, at its most basic, Jesus gives us something to do that simply requires you to put out your hands, to walk forward on a Sunday morning to a table like this one and to receive bread and then eat it. You all know how to eat and then drink it, right? You know how to drink. And for me, uh, I went through a season where I was training for ministry. Lots was starting to blow up in my life. I found myself spiritually hungry and spiritually dry and all of these old disciplines and practices I had done before, like prayer, like reading my Bible, like being in a small group. All those things were, were just hard, and it felt challenging. And I, I kept trying to summon within me the work of faith. I kept trying to like, I'm going to do it, Jesus. Like, I'm going to get back to you, but it's feeling really hard and really heavy right now. And as I was in that season, I had a mentor in my life say, have you ever read John chapter 6 closely? And have you ever thought about how simple it is to follow Jesus' command to eat the bread and to drink the cup? And as they said that to me, for about two years, Jen and I both started to say, like, we don't really have anything to offer to God right now. Like, life feels really hard. Faith feels pretty broken. But if we just show up and extend our hands, then what we're going to remember every time we do it is that Jesus is actually feeding us. And so as I ponder with you this sacred mystery that is so beautiful but also complex, so mysterious, and maybe even weird. I just want to give you three practical encouragements that follow, I think, what Jesus is saying. The first encouragement is this. In order to follow Jesus, Jesus invites you to eat the bread. Just come forward whenever you are able and receive the bread. Uh, just put your hands out and there it will be. And as you eat it, you can maybe on this Sunday ponder the strange chemical mystery that is bread becoming part of you. But on most Sundays, you probably won't feel or see or do anything that special at all. You'll just eat it. And as you do, you will remember that Jesus is now in you and that you are now a part of Jesus. But if eating the bread is wonderfully helpful to start, I'd also encourage you to see the sign that is this table. Because bread is just bread, and 
This isn't even wine, it's just juice, just as a spoiler alert for any of you who are hoping for wine this week. There's no wine, it's still juice. This table is actually a sign. It's meant to point us to the one who said, I am the bread. I am the life. This table is not just about bread and juice. It's actually about Jesus who came as the great I am to offer himself to us. But finally, just as an encouragement, remember as you come to this table, it's why we encourage you to cup your hands. It's why we encourage you not to like grab the bread, but instead receive this bread and receive it as a gift from God. I love that moment where Jesus says to them, just to be clear, it wasn't Moses who was feeding you in the wilderness. Just to be clear, this isn't a pastor or a volunteer. This isn't our church that's feeding you when you come forward to receive from this table. Instead, it's God. God is the one who wants to offer you himself. And I realize in closing that I have not resolved the heartaches that you may be bringing with you into this Sunday morning. Realize that all of us in this room are gonna be coming from such different places. Some of you guys may be anxious. Some of you might be lonely. Some of you might be wrestling with work. Where are you gonna work? How are you gonna work? Some of you may be just aching over injustices in our world. Yet here, every week on Sunday mornings at Lincoln Hall, you get this invitation bread. See the sign received from God. Let's pray and then let's move together into a time of communion. Jesus, as strange as it is, you say, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will not enter with me into the life I have for you. This morning, Jesus, whatever we are carrying, however we are coming, May together, we as a church and a community, may we eat this bread. May we receive you, the very bread of life. And even for just a moment this morning, Lord, as we close in our time of worship, may you remind us that you can daily sustain us, that you are abundant and enough in the bread that you are offering us, and that even as you are broken, we too will be broken, God, so that we might step with you into the new resurrection life. Come be with us now and feed us yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.